CPQ, as you said, is configure price quote, and it does go back to my father's pumps. And I remember going home to visit my father Thanksgiving 1999, and that's when we were talking about the internet and pumps. And uh, my father was very skeptical his pumps could ever be sold online because they were very configured based on chemistry, so based on pH, you know, what the fluid was you were handling, the pressure, the flow rate, you had to configure very the pump with different linings, housings, materials, motors, and he kind of explained to me, look, you need a really good, he thought, German sales engineer okay. to put together the right pump for the customer's application. And then really I had the idea, you know, I was in Silicon Valley and Cisco was selling complex routers, networking gear already in 1999 online wow. with configurators. And the way configurators work, they kind of ask you, hey, what do you need, right? Or in the case of PC like Dell, how much memory do you want? Ah. How much hard drive? What operating system do you want? And then the configurator has rules that based on your customer requirements, it puts together the right components and you know, configures exactly the, the device you want. And in real time, it's showing you pricing, lead time. And so it makes it possible to order very complex products online. And then that was really the idea I then had, I'm like, well, Dad, why don't we build an online, today you'd call it cloud or SaaS, configurator for pumps, and then you can sell your pumps online. And so we started building that in 2000, and he became my first customer, and that was my long journey down the CPQ path, or it started then anyway. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories, and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. Episode 98 is with Goddard Abel, CEO and co-founder of G2. It's part one of three episodes. I've met Goddard in person several times and I've had many conference calls with him too. At this stage, I feel I can call him a friend. His story is a wonderful one, not just because he helped found four major startups and has been CEO of three of them, Big Machine, Steelbrick and G2 Crowd, the other one being 3Kit, but because he set out to solve a problem for his dad's pump business, he succeeded, but he really had to struggle through many years, a couple of them dark, most of them tough, with that first business. And he's just taken the learnings and the productive friendships with his co-founders, and they've literally taken flight with the next three businesses. This is 40 Minutes of SaaS, coming to you from SaaS Talk Dublin, in front of a very welcome live audience, and we've got Goddard Abel. Co-founder and CEO of G2, executive chairman of 3Kit, and he's also helped build a couple of other famous companies which we will get into in this talk. Great to see you again, Goddard. Great to see you, Stephen. Great to be in your hometown of Dublin. Oh. Actually, my first time, and I have been blown away. Dublin, beautiful city, and the amount of SaaS here. Unbelievable, Incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Are they looking after you? Very much. Okay. I mean, the town, we're very friendly, because I came last week, I was in London, and one thing we know is the taxi drivers in London don't talk to you. <laughs> Everyone in Dublin, Ireland's very friendly. Yeah, I lived like, in London for years. It's a very different vibe yeah, altogether. Like yeah. People are very friendly, very welcoming. And I'm just amazed by the amount of tech. Because oh, yeah, now yeah. you go through the city of Dublin, and it's like more concentrated than the valley. It's like Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, Salesforce is building a new tower. Everybody's in town. It's quite amazing. They are. Uh, where, where I live, there's about 8,000 Googlers, about uh, a 300 meter walk away, and mm -hmm. about 150 meters away, there's about a thousand or a thousand five hundred Facebookers and wow. Facebook is or Salesforce is building the other side of the water. It's nuts. It's we call like it living in Palo Alto. Now. It's funny because I'm surrounded. My neighbors all work for Google and Facebook too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> funny. Same in Dublin as in Palo Alto. Yeah. 
And do, you, you, do you miss Chicago, living out there in Palo Alto? Uh, I'm still in Chicago a lot for business. Okay. So I do have a corporate apartment there. So I spend probably as much work time in Chicago as San Francisco. So I still get to be there quite a bit. But obviously, I also get to be in California on, in the winter, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but I obviously, I love the people of Chicago. And they're much like the people of Dublin, I find. You know, very friendly, very warm. And in the St. Patrick's Day, they dyed the Vero Green in Chicago. I don't they, know if you knew that. I knew it. And, uh, and also, it's, a, to me, the friendliest city in the United States. And yes. uh, I felt it instantly in Chicago when I was there. And I'm not just saying it because you're saying about Dublin. I think I've told you before. True. I, do, I do like it a lot. Yeah, because uh, probably New York, more like London, right? A bit, or even Bay Area, people are a little bit more standoffish. You know, yep. But in Chicago, just like in Dublin, yeah. Very warm, welcoming relaxed. people. Yeah, a little more relaxed. Absolutely, I think they're, and they, and they like their own city. Indeed, you know they mean? love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. very proud of it. Which is a fantastic thing. Now, uh, I would love you to talk a little bit about something I don't think you often talk about. Just your, your early years, because uh, mm. you were born in Europe. And, I uh, was. Take us through your first, I don't know, 20 years, 22 years. Yeah. In, in two or three minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will do that. Now, I was born in Mönchengladbach, which you might know if you're a European football fan. I do. Du in kannst auch Deutsch, oder? Ich kann auch Deutsch sprechen. Ah, Machen wir es auf Deutsch? Ja, ja. ja. Also, ich glaube, das Englisch ist besser. Ja. Uh, die meisten verstehen mehr Englisch. Uh, uh, but, you know, the year I was born, 1971, interesting fact, Borussia Mönchengladbach won the Bundesliga that year. Yep. And in the 1970s, they were actually one of the most successful teams in European football. I remember them well. And actually, I think last week, they were actually leading the Bundesliga again. Kind of a surprise, because obviously they're a small market team. But, but after, I only spent a year in Mönchengladbach, but as you can tell, I'm still a fan of the soccer team. Good, good. But then I moved to Essen, which is, I say, the Pittsburgh of Germany, but right next to Düsseldorf, but old coal and steel town. Yeah. And I moved there with my father, who took over a pump manufacturing business for my grandfather. And so I kind of grew up in very kind of industrial, uh, but also growing up around a father, was building a business. It was a small business. Yeah. And obviously a lot of struggles, challenges, but I always grew up around talking business with my father. And probably that's ultimately what I remember inspiring me to become an entrepreneur. And, but then, and is your dad, the, would you say, the biggest influence in your life? Um, I would say also I just visited my mom, you know, so I'd say but in, equal but different. And my mom was actually also in the family business. She was my father's CFO for many years. Ah. And uh, so I definitely grew up around business, entrepreneurship. And, uh, but then when I was nine, also because of business reasons, we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yep. And I made the joke yesterday, it's the essence of the U.S., but also old coal steel town, and that's where my father decided to open the U.S. subsidiary for his pump business. Okay, yeah, And yeah. so we moved the whole family there, and, you know, then I was there all the way through high school, and, you know, Pittsburgh also, like Essen, kind of a, a humble, more working town. Yep. And, uh, but I enjoyed growing up there, made a lot of good friends, and I went off to college at MIT. Fan so of the Steelers? A fan of the Steelers very much. Yeah, you, you know, you're the second guy from Pittsburgh in a row I've interviewed. Nice. Eric Bodek as well, just there awesome. before you. Yeah, yeah and Pittsburgh yeah. also has a lot of civic pride because smaller town and Steelers are sort of the unifying uh, factor. We all ah. love the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Fantastic. MIT, that's impressive. So tell us about your experience there. Yeah, at MIT, and I really went there because I thought at the time, I think my father was hoping I would go into the pump business. It was a great opportunity, but then so I went to study mechanical engineering. Because I remember one thing I was thinking at the time, I'm like, if I ever go into pump business, I don't want to be nepotism. I want to be super well prepared. And uh, so I studied mechanical engineering there and spent you know, five years in Boston and really enjoyed it. Did you know I worked for Chesterton Industries? I did not. Do you know who they are? I've heard of them, yes. They're they the also have a pump business, right? They're the, old, the oldest pump business in the world and they're yes. from Boston. 
Wow. Small world. It's yeah, really small indeed. World. I was an industrial chemist a long time ago. I'm pretty old, got her at this stage. Nice. So you know all about fluid mechanics and pumps. That's uh, awesome. I wouldn't say I know all about it because I was working with, well, I was working with the liquid, uh, uh, the liquids part of the, the business, not so much the pumps, uh, coatings and uh, the coatings for the insides of the pumps and uh, stuff like that. Uh, nice. I was working with the chemical side. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we both started in the pump world and now we're in SAS. <laughs> You went on to, um, I suppose, almost create or evolve the market for CPQ, configure price quote. So for the listeners, could you explain what CPQ is and tell us a little bit about your experience with big machines? Sure, and uh, CPQ, as you said, it's configure price quote, and it does go back to my father's pumps. Ah. And really, as you know, doing the chemistry, because I, you know, actually I went back, it was interesting, so I went to business school then in California at Stanford, dot-com boom, and I remember going home to visit my father, Thanksgiving 1999, and that's when we were talking about the internet and pumps, and uh, my father was very skeptical his pumps could ever be sold online, because they were very configured based on chemistry, so based on pH, you know, what the fluid was you were handling, the pressure, the flow rate, you had to configure very the pump with different linings, housings, materials, motors, and he kind of explained to me, look, you need a really good, he thought, German sales engineer okay. to put together the right pump for the customer's application. And then really I had the idea, you know, I was in Silicon Valley and Cisco was selling complex routers, networking gear already in 1999 online wow. with configurators. And the way configurators work, they kind of ask you, hey, what do you need, right? Or in the case of PC like Dell, how much memory do you want? Ah. How much hard drive? What operating system do you want? And then the configurator has rules that based on your customer requirements, it puts together the right components and you know, configures exactly the, the device you want. And in real time, it's showing you pricing, lead time, and so it makes it possible to order very complex products online. And then that was really the idea I then had. I'm like, well, Dad, why don't we build an online, today you'd call it Cloud or SaaS, configurator for pumps, and then you can sell your pumps online. Because I was convinced that eventually everything would be sold through the internet, and so I said, Dad, you need to get on the internet. Hmm. And, uh, and so we started building that in 2000, and he became my first customer. And that was my long journey down the CPQ path, or it started then anyway. Fantastic. And, and you know, when do you think big machines uh, you know, reached its peak? Because I, I would have been involved in a few kind of joint projects with, in the early hmm. days of Salesforce with big machines. Um, t tell us a little bit about the journey to its peak. Yeah. And, and maybe tell us a little bit about uh, maybe uh, a learning experience or any dark experience you may have had after that, because yeah. we've talked about this before. Yeah, now we first went through a tough period. You know, kind of a, we had to go through a deep valley to get to the peak. Yeah. And because, you know, in hindsight, and I think maybe I was right about the internet and pumps, but frankly I was probably several years early. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, in the, the beginning there was this great dot-com boom, you probably remember it, right? There was all this hype, I was able to raise money the first year, raise $20 million from investors, raise money for my father, just based on vision. And everyone at that time was betting on the internet until they weren't, because you know, then the dot-com bubble blew up, 9-11 sure. happened, and then 2002, you might remember, there's a very deep tech recession. Yeah. And frankly, we were calling as manufacturers, we're like, hey, don't you want to sell your pumps online? Mm. They were like, well, no. Actually, they'd take the meeting, they were polite, nice people. And in the meeting, they are like, well, you're a dot-com, so <laughs> when are you going bankrupt? And by the way, I think the internet was a fad. <laughs> so, good luck. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. we were closing very few deals, so as a result, we were almost bankrupt in 2003 which you know, we burned through, I think, 19 of our 20 million. Wow. And as an entrepreneur, it was very anxiety-inducing, especially I was about to lose my father's money, all my other investors. I'd hired a lot of friends into the company, 
and frankly then wound up having to lay most of them off. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, based on initial capital, the hype, I'd hired 70 people, and then the bottom came in 2003, I'd scaled it all the way down to 20. And I had to let go of a lot of people into a tough job market, and nothing ever felt worse to me as an entrepreneur than having to do that, and it wasn't their fault. It was really my fault, I'd hired them too soon, the market wasn't there, and obviously I didn't, I didn't know either, but still, it felt, it really hurt. You felt it, yeah. Yeah, it, it really, frankly, it really sucked. And, and how, did you pull uh, you, how did you pull yourself out of that? How did, you, how, did the, how did the company turn the corner? And I think really in 2003, my co-founder, Chris and I, and that's what took me to Chicago, I started a company in Silicon Valley, but we decided to move to Chicago, partly because we had to go organic road, we had to save money. And it was, you know, my, my co-founder wanted to buy a house. He couldn't do that in California, but he could in Chicago. And we were able to get, you know, I think stickier employees also at a lower cost. Yep. And then we went into organic growth mode. And the way we saved the company was one deal at a time. So I kind of realized I was more, I'd done strategy, I'd been a consultant, MBA, but I was too theoretical about business. And I just realized, wow, the only way we're going to grow organically, we have to close the next deal on the table. And then I just shifted my priority. I'm like, hey, what's the next step to close the next deal? and I'm just going to focus on that kind of like tunnel vision and kept doing that and then started closing more deals. I remember like I think 2007 we did, or four, we then did 10 deals, which was a lot. Okay, because they were big deals. Yes, and then we also started partnering with Salesforce around the same time and that was really the other thing that really helped us. And I know you worked at Salesforce and Mark Benioff, an entrepreneur I still very much admire to this day, probably has learned more from him vicariously than any other entrepreneur but he created the whole SaaS in the cloud, or he popularized it. Absolutely. Right? Because he got businesses to start seeing the power of it, start buying it, and yep. that online cloud software was actually better for the customer. And so then we became a leading partner for CPQ, for Salesforce. Were, yeah. And then 2007 is when it really started to turn the corner. And I remember I was doing a deal with Eric Eichenschleiders from Salesforce, still one of their best sales leaders, but it was Rico, yeah. big copier company. And that deal, Salesforce really needed us because they were competing with Siebel. Okay. Siebel had its own CPQ app. And you know, Rico said to Salesforce, hey, we're only buying it if there's CPQ, because they sell very complex multifunction printers. Sure. And they're like, without CPQ, Salesforce doesn't have much value to me, but with it, and we became the partner, and together we won the deal. And then we started winning lots of deals with Salesforce. And so then the company really entered the rapid growth phase. And you know, then by 2013, Oracle, we also partnered with Oracle, yep. uh, but with their CPQ, CRM on demand product, and then you know, they decided to acquire the company. And so then it kind of led led to a happy ending, but it was after you know, getting through many years of struggle. A $400 million ending. In the next and second episode of three episodes with Goddard Abel, we talk in depth about the four businesses he built, but especially Steelbrick, now Salesforce CPQ, which he scaled in less than two years to the same size as big machines after 13 years. This is the power of SaaS and the power of building on a scalable platform within a massive ecosystem, in this case, Salesforce's ecosystem. And his biggest company so far, G2, formerly G2 Crowd. Gartner produces marketing quadrants backed by a liberal sprinkling of magic to help companies choose what software they should buy. G2's quadrants are not 100% perfect, no model is, but they are seriously valuable because they're backed by data. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating. Music